The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Hello and welcome to Marlin 02148. I'm the guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and my guest is Michael Festa, State Director of the AARP, which means? Uh, well, it means nothing in the sense of the old letters used to stand for something. About 25 years ago, we changed it to just AARP. AARP. Uh, but suffice to say, we obviously are focused on people who are 50 plus, um, but many of our members are actually working which is why we don't use that R word anymore in our... They're, they're working because they have to, because of the, uh, the economic well, climate, or well, they want to? I would just say that this obviously depends on personal circumstances, but generally speaking, over time, whether the economy has been good, bad, or indifferent, we have found that many of our members want to join before they retire from work because we have a lot of good benefits and a lot of you know ways. Hopefully, people appreciate that uh, there's a reason to be a member. So that's that's the point. Well, you know, you mentioned benefits, and and uh, the thing is, uh, I get the publication because I've been a member for a long time, and there's two sources of, of uh, material that you, that you receive. One is a magazine, and the other is is the bulletin. The, yeah, they yeah, call it the bulletin. The, oh, sorry about that. And yeah. the other is the um, the bulletin. The, the newspaper little. Yeah, they thing. call it a bulletin. Yeah, and. The, the thing is, as you, as you go through it, it uh, this is so much useful information. Mm. And uh, just for, for instance, now, there, there's um, a membership. Is what, what, what does it cost a year if someone joins? Oh, I was like 16 bucks, but you can get it for 12 if you, I think, sign up for three yeah, years. Yeah, well, th- 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 here's just one example of the way you use it. It's like less th- than the lunch we just had by about a factor of two, I'd say, maybe three. Well, uh, yeah, but... Um, then you didn't tip the person. Oh, I did. No, I oh, did. Okay. And obviously, and let the record show, I pay for his lunch. But that's all right. Uh, the point is, it's not very much. Yeah. Uh, now, I was looking through it, and there's a lot of people who reach a certain age, and they have eye issues. Hmm. And they end up, uh, as, a, as an over-the-counter, they get this uh, primer vision. And this happened to be in this, uh, this month's publication. Okay. And the reason I, me- I mention that is this is for those people that probably uh, go to CVS or uh, Walgreens. Is uh, it's an ad, but it includes a coupon. Mm-hmm. And and and, um, and since I'm a person with some eyes issue, I'm, I'm, I'm I, ha- I take this medication. It's okay. but it's over the counter. Yeah. And um, but with this coupon, you save five dollars. And and the um, this, the, the supply or the, or the ones that I get uh, are 70, 70 day oh. supply. Okay. So if you do the math, if you were an AARP member and you just utilize this one item out of the out of the monthly publication, with a five dollar discount for the less than three uh, three months, 
you'd literally be able to more than pay for your membership. So, yeah. you, and that's just for one item. And there's so many other things that that are in the magazine or the publication that, whether a day trips or uh, discounts on vacation and suggestions on how you be, uh, can utilize services that are available to you that. Yeah. It'll provide you with a, a discount or a saving to uh, wherever you go, whether it's a hotel or whatever, all these sure. other things. So uh, people would be able to support the organization with a membership and, and in fact, put money in their own pocket, which, which is not the usual way it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if I may respectfully clarify, just in terms of my role and what we'll be talking about most of the show, um, as the state director of ARP, uh, what we're doing in Massachusetts, and we have state directors in all 50 states, uh, as well as the territories, actually. Um, we are focused on the social mission part of our organization. We don't sell products or services. We don't even do membership. We serve our members by doing two fundamental areas of, we'll call it social mission. One is advocacy. We are very actively engaged in lobbying in the federal government and lobbying in the state house. Uh, to try to change laws, regulations, what have you, that protect people who are 50-plus in, you know, in a myriad of ways. And then we're also doing a lot of uh, programming, things like, uh, and now, of course, with the pandemic, we've wound down, uh, we've, we've learned lessons. We're doing uh, some in-person again, uh, but we're certainly continuing to do some online. But the focus of those programs are things like Saving for retirement, you know, strategies to save for retirement, uh, Social Security and when should you take it, strategies around that, uh, fraud prevention, um, Home Fit is another program we do, and this is to help people um, figure out ways to make their house safer as they're, as they're aging in place. So we do a lot of those kinds of programs in the community, and all of these programs are uh, at no charge. I mean, this is intended to be a public service, if you will, and making sure that uh, the people who are over the age of 50, and in some cases their caregivers who are the daughters and grandchildren uh, that could be much younger than 50, but it's to benefit them um, in all these different ways. So that's, that's the subject areas that I can speak to. And if you allow me to make this point, this kind of a, might sound curious, but um, I am not allowed by the way the organization's set up, because we're a 501c4, you know, we have IRS regulations, to promote any products, because it's kind of a firewall, right? So I deal with social mission. Uh, but it's very good to know, Ed, that you're a satisfied member. I will say that you reference two, two things that we publish every month that our members get. One of them is the magazine, which is produced entirely in Washington. And the other, although it's also produced in Washington. This is the bulletin. This bulletin has a section every month in um, the state news. And so, for example, you just happened to, which, what the heck is this one? Is this the Jude, one that just came up? Oh, all right. This is the current one. Gee, I haven't even seen this one yet. Okay. Um, how to beat inflation. Well, that's certainly timely. Uh, but in any event, in this edition, there is a section about what we're doing in Massachusetts that might be of interest to our members. So we're given a chance as a state office to feature um, every quarter a particular activity that we're doing in Massachusetts. And then we have a big state page where it's only Massachusetts here. It's Rhode Island, Maine, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire, so it's a New England thing. But all in all, the point is we're delivering a lot of information to our members and to the general public, you know, in these various ways. 
Well, uh, that page you pulled out, and, and that yeah. I, the reason it was so easy to pull it out was because I had kind of flagged that. Oh, okay. And, and it talked about Massachusetts, and, and the thing that, it, that impressed me is that, um, you know, sometimes elderly through the um, senior housing or, or through the senior centers and that, that sort of thing locally, they, they can do trips. Yeah. Well, Maybe they go to Encore and Everett, but more. Oh, I'm sure some of them do. do but they do lots of other kinds of yeah. trips. But the, the one from Massachusetts they mentioned, and this is a, would come up as, on um, t- Tuesday, and that would be in September and October. Members of the AARP can take five guests and go to the, uh, I think it's Boylston, Mass. Yeah, it's in the central part of the state. It's a really beautiful and they show, uh, and explain botanical how you gardens. Take, you can yeah. take, take a day trip, and yeah. you get, your admission is free, I believe. And oh, then, yeah, we're paying for that. We, we basically made an arrangement with the with the botanical gardens, and, you, and, and we and pay and for it. And you have five people in a car, and you can yeah. road wander, trip. wander through all those mm-hmm. kind of a... And, of course, that time of year, there's still things are green, and oh, the flowers yeah. are still there, and so... Again, that just just an item for, like you said, it's Massachusetts, but there's something for Maine, some for Connecticut, right. and so forth. So, it's really impressive, and I I do think there's a, a chance for people if they um, if they send tend to be by themselves, there's group efforts made right. and group programs where you can you can share your time and share your space with other people and get a chance to mix with sure. people. And yeah. one of the other things that's mentioned, it gets more more common all the time, is this. How many scams are prying on senior citizens oh, yeah, or older yeah. people? This, uh, unfortunately, is a, a perennial challenge, as I think everybody's obviously aware of. Um, what ARP committed to doing many years ago is we set up what we call a fraud watch network. And it's online, but we also have people who can call in. But let's just say online, what we do is we provide up-to-date information about the kinds of scams that are happening of any description and believe me they're more creative every day but it gives people the ammunition and the information to hopefully avoid becoming victims from these scammers and fraudsters and so for us at ARP we recognize that uh, it doesn't matter how bright you are it doesn't matter whether you, you know we're not talking about people who have dementia we're talking about just average people many of whom frankly are being scammed that are under the age of 50 but the common denominator is And the message we always tell people is, keep in mind that these scammers, this is a numbers game for them. If they make a thousand phone calls, but they wind up getting an Ed Lucy that says, oh, I'll wire $10,000 to save my granddaughter who's been arrested or kidnapped, then they've pretty much made, you know, a monthly income uh, from one person out of a thousand. So I can only tell you that... uh, the, you know, the, we're just concerned that uh, members are being taken advantage of, and suffice to say that uh, that's one of the programs we do. And, and we're also, by the way, doing more local fraud watch scammers. Sometimes we partner with the Attorney General's Office or the Office of uh, Consumer Protection uh, and Business business and um, uh, Regulation, Business and Banking. Um, they have a great uh, consumer protection division that we've been doing a number of joint programs to talk about these scams and how to protect yourself. Well, and, and, and past any of that, what also sometimes happens, unfortunately, is people who are scammed yeah. for whatever reason. Um, I've never been accused of not having a loud voice, but something's happening here. And I, well, hope, I hope your listeners are well, able Well, I can to hear you, so that's important. Well, that is very important. Uh, but the point that's is, why you changed the battery. The, the, <laughs> that's the, 
You say about the battery in my ear. But anyway, uh, this is not a, yeah. a vaudevillian act, by the way. No, no but it, it could turn into one pretty quickly because <laughs> we're all friends. This is the, we, we're without a script. Right. But the, the final note I was going to say about scams is sometimes when it happens, people get so embarrassed they don't tell their family, That's they it. don't tell anybody, and the result yeah. is that the, that the scam is perpetuated with other people, whereas yeah. sometimes they could do some good if they did alert others that they, they either sent money or they sent gift cards or they did whatever the instructions were, which had nothing to do with anything other than someone wanted to take what you had. And they, right. they randomly, unfortunately for you, maybe you followed up with a phone call when, you, when, you, when yeah. they called you and that was not the right thing to do. Right. And, you know, the thing is that you, no matter how sophisticated things are, you know, again, some people can get fooled. And we worry about that. We want to protect against that. But there are common, you know, pretty much common sense things. The first and foremost is when you get a phone call um, and you don't know that person, you just hang up. You just don't answer the phone, period. If there's someone that is calling that's legitimate, they're going to leave a voicemail. And you're going to know who that person is. And you can make a decision to call back. But the, but the first thing you do is not answer the phone unless it's someone you recognize. And now, by the way, as you know, sometimes they do what they call spoofing, where they will show, the phone will say a phone number, Malden Police Department. Well, in fact, it isn't the Malden Police Department. They just masked and they duplicated the uh, the signal or the, the information. So it appears that way. But the bottom line is, uh, even if it's the Malden Police Department, you know what? You hang up, and if it's something that's in fact serious, they'll call right back, or they'll leave a message if it's an emergency, what have you. But the idea is you just don't fall victim. And the same with you know the uh, emails. I mean, we get so many of these emails where you you uh, or even Facebook now or um, you know they're they're steering you to click on the link which is a live link, and what happens is that um, it brings you to uh, your information going to a third party, and you can be hijacked, and, and it can be very dangerous. I mean, not literally, but obviously in a way that would cause your personal information to be lost or for you to be uh, your computer to be corrupted or things of that nature. So there's a lot to it. Is it more likely to be a, a call come on a landline as opposed to a, 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 another form of communication? Oh, no. Now things are changing. Look, I, I've got my phone here, and it reminds me I probably should shut it off. But I get at least five spam calls a day on my cell phone. Are they coded that way when you look at them, or do you know that Well, I, I set up a situation there. I'm sliding it off. Um, I set up a arrangement where any time a phone number is called in that appears by the by the analysis, the algorithms, whatever they're using to determine this, it looks like spam, they'll call it spam risk right on the call okay. as it's coming in. So I just leave it alone. I just let it go. But again, I'm not going to answer a call, um, even if it's a number or an area code that looks familiar, you know, like 781 or 617. But... Um, because my feeling is very simple. I don't know this person. I don't want to give any information. I don't want to be bothered, actually. That's the first problem. And the other thing is, if it really is legitimate, they will call you back or they will leave a voicemail. And uh, people should know that. So, But uh, anyway, enough of that. Well, issue. one other, uh, yeah. for my final comment was sure. that there are people who, um, again, this is something that's important for all the people, uh, that um, if if you're hearing impaired to some degree, yeah. 
There are, there's, uh, are programs where uh, one in particular that I have, in fact, my own phone, which is an attachment. Okay. And what it does is it gives you a chance to read what the person is saying on the other line. Okay. It, it, you know, friend or foe or whatever. But the main thing is if they if they speak clearly, then you can pretty much follow a conversation even if you don't always hear them. Yep. And, yep. But the other thing that's more important maybe than any of that is that uh, – they also flag what potentially would be spam calls. Okay. And they'll call, and they'll be right. It'll say right on uh, spam, spam risk. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. The result Good. is, they may they may be a seven eight one area code. It sometimes it looks like a more than three two two number, but in reality, it's not. And it's a robocall, and and that's the beginning of someone trying to reach you because right. once they re- reach you and talk to you, then in the meantime they can then move ahead and try to. Exp- extort money and scam you out of yeah. something and you think you're doing a good service to somebody or a family member and in reality that's the mm. end of what that yeah. money you might send. Well, and you know what? We could be doing the show in, as we are in 2022. We could be doing it 20, 25 years ago and maybe 25 years from now neither one of us would be doing it necessarily, of course. But um, the a long-term con- contract here. I might well, be I, still doing and it. And you renewed your license, right? Your driver's <laughs> license. as you, Yeah. But anyway, the point is that uh, 25 years from now, you could probably predict with some certainty, and I'll make that prediction, that you're going to see some form of uh, fraud and scamming going on using different media, using different uh, technologies. We don't quite know. But unfortunately, the human condition is what it is, that there are certain people who don't want an earn an honest living, that they could care less. In fact, I want to just leave you with one thought uh, for your listeners. We did a, a program with the Disabled American Veterans uh, dealing with fraud against veterans. And that, that is, if you can believe it, they're, 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 that's happening. And some of those folks are people who have had brain injury from, uh, you know, shelling in you know Iraq and, and Afghanistan. And these fraudsters could care less. I mean, they're, they're heartless people. They will take money from a disabled vet as easy as a senior citizen, uh, or anybody else for that matter, because for them, uh, it's all about the money. So guard against it. But, you know, I do, if I may segue, Ed, I know this is your show, but I want to be sure we cover this subject area. We're doing this taping in the middle of the summer, which, as you know, we're both recovering politicians. We understand that there's a lot happening in the government in the middle of the summer, in Massachusetts in particular. We've got a lot of things happening in the state budget. Uh, that we've been working on that I wanted to share with with the listeners or talk about any legislative matters which we're, we're very actively involved with. So if it's okay, I want to cover some of that because we don't have a script. Okay. All right. That is a script. Okay, that's a script. We, we just let it. ahead of time. So well, we did. We, okay, you're right going to give me. I, I've got your permission. <laughs> okay. Well, let me put it this way. Let's start with some good news. Um, I think it's pretty common knowledge now that we are in a very unusual budgetary time in Massachusetts, where even though we're coming out of a pandemic, and even though the economy is shaky in some respects, and obviously inflation is a challenge, the state budget is, in terms of the revenue, has had extraordinary uptick. And thank we, you to the federal government. Thank you. Well, federal government is part of it, no question about it. The ARPA funds, they call it the federal monies, have helped. But interestingly enough, the revenue from regular sources, including uh, uh, capital gains and, and, you know, income tax, et cetera, has come in in a very uh, steady clip, but more to the point, much greater numbers than was predicted last year. 
And what that has meant is that this, you know, the legislature have, with the governor have worked to try to address, okay, what are the spending priorities? Some of it is going to be held back, and that's that rainy day fund. You know, I just want people to know that the rainy day fund they just put in this state budget is in excess of $7 billion, which is much more than it's ever been before. That's the total. That's, the, that's just this year. The seven that's, they're putting aside $7 billion that year. And so that money is in reserve in case of downturns, in case of emergencies. And they're going to probably add even more to it uh, as time goes on. But uh, what I did want to mention is, as I alluded to earlier, you know, ARP is very actively involved in lobbying at the state level on matters involving the state budget. And for example, every year we remind our legislative uh, friends and, and colleagues uh, and, and those who are taking, you know, making the decisions that the home and community-based care that many people rely on, you know, in this area it's Mystic Valley Elder Services, very, very, very critical services. And seniors are dependent on that. Many people are dependent on that personal care attendant, the additional enhanced care that comes, uh, uh, that may come as, as we age. And to keep people in their home longer, this is what the home and community-based care is all about. Well, this year, for the first time in my years, and this is, goes back to the late 90s when I started being in the legislature, 9% uh, increase in purchase of services a 24% increase in the administrative and, and uh, salary line items that help uh, retain, you know, reta recruit and retain workers, uh, a major increase in elder protective services, which you know, speak to fraud issues. And so there's a lot of good news in this budget. And at the same time, uh, when we're doing this taping, there's actually a few days left before the governor has a chance to veto or not veto line items. So we're not 100% certain. But I will tell you that knowing how we've worked with the governor's office as well as the legislature, that the odds are extremely high that we're going to see a budget finally put to bed at the end of, uh, you know, I'm thinking now probably uh, by late uh, July. Well, in this case, it would be first first day of August, will be a very positive one for seniors and caregivers and people who really need those services. The other thing that's very important is that there's a whole separate legislative package that just got voted on by the House and the Senate that was proposed initially by the governor that speaks to tax benefits for older people. And right now, we are in a situation where the good news is we were talking about this off camera. So people living in Malden, they're paying, you know, their real estate taxes, and many of them, older people, are in fix on fixed income. Right now, with this new change in the law, the tax credit, which is essentially a um, circuit breaker to sort of help people, uh, you know, keep staying in their home, afford to stay in their home, has doubled. It's gone from, I think, 1200 and something dollars, somewhere around um, $2,350, somewhere thereabouts. And that's a tax credit. So the government is actually sending you a check when you file your tax return uh, to pay for a portion of your real estate taxes. That's a big deal. We fought very hard for that. In addition to that, there are uh, the rent deductions. You know, people who are not owning their home but, say, paying rent, 
Uh, you used to be able to deduct $3,000 rent as part of your filing of your tax return, state tax return. Now it's been increased to 5000 So that's going to definitely benefit renters. And then we have uh, poor uh, seniors, uh, those who are needing uh, other caregiver credits or, or um, you know, for lower income seniors, there are additional benefits. So it's been a good year uh, for um, some aspects of government in particular, you know, to counteract some of the costs of inflation and some of the challenges that people are facing to stay in their home. Um, but I wanted to bring this stuff up for two reasons. One is because this is information that I hope people are aware of and maybe can take advantage of it. The other is to remind folks that that's part of our job at ARP. I mean, we are there to lobby for and try to get increases in the budget that help seniors and also changes of law that will benefit um, people who are 50 plus. So we're, we're, a lot of that's going on right now. The um, Some of those things you just mentioned, yeah. The, the tax credits show up on your tax return. Mm -hmm. Are there other programs where the, the government is making available direct payments to people? Well, you know, uh, that's a good question, and I have to tell you, other than what we've saw, seen recently with the federal government sending the checks directly, and now I know the state has decided to give $250 uh, as a, you know, sort of a direct cash payment to people, not the poorest in this case. This is because there was already that done. Uh, the rationale was that they were going to do this for you know, basically middle-class folks who are making, I think, as a couple, 150000 or down to 38000 But the point is, that's rare. I think really, really important to remember. Even if you do not think you owe state taxes, and many seniors are not in a position of owing state taxes because there are deductions or they're limited income, you n need to file a tax return to get the credit, to get the money from the state to you. These oh, that, are, that's separate from that. Okay. This is a tax credit. Okay. That's why I'm trying to make it clear that okay. this is not about deductions. This is about a cash payment to help you pay your real estate tax, for example. So if you don't file a tax return, even if you have no tax status, you're missing out on this opportunity. Look, in the end, if anybody who's listening to this says, well, it's kind of confusing, you can always go to our website, aarp.org and then put slash MA, Massachusetts. We have constant information that's being refreshed. You certainly can call um, the, the Department of Revenue in Massachusetts, um, or you can go online with, uh, to mass.gov, which is the Massachusetts official site, and you can type in, say, um, senior uh, circuit breaker and you'll get the right link to the right information. So one way or another, the information's accessible, and uh, I encourage people to, to find out if they are entitled to get those benefits. Well, the, um, so I, I guess maybe just to get clarification, <clears throat> on what's in the budget, I think, as you just mentioned, is that um, if you file a tax return and your income is at least, Thirty-eight thousand, or thereabouts, thirty-six thousand. I think I say thirty-eight. Yeah. Thirty-eight thousand, but not more than one hundred and fifty. Yeah, and uh, not right. Then, if you're a single person, you you get two hundred and fifty dollars. Right. If you're a couple, you get five hundred dollars. Correct. It's per person. Yeah. And um, when I heard that recently, and I did make a uh, call, just uh, had a hard time fathering why 
uh, number one is if you if you had um, an income in that range, like you just indicated, but you didn't have to file a tax return, you wouldn't get the money anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if your income was only fourteen thousand or sixteen thousand, which sometimes is true, oh, yeah. you're not eligible in the first place. So that you're not even whether you file or not, you're not going to get the money. But then I was told. Well, there was recently another uh, program where they gave those people cash directly. That is correct. So but they had to file a tax return to get the cash, I think. That, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one way or another, you have to be in that system. Yeah, so, so it's yeah. acknowledged. But so we've covered the tax stuff. We've t- covered the budget. Um, but I did want to mention something else, if I may. How are we doing on time, Ed? Plenty of time. Uh, you Give me the hook when you need to. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- here's the thing. At the federal level, it's about to uh, come to the end of the term. Uh, you know, we've got all the elections coming up in the fall. And ARP has, at the federal level, been laser-focused on one big issue. And the issue has to do with the high cost of prescription drugs. We talked about this before. I want you to know that there is pending now a reconciliation bill without making too much of that. Let's just say the prospects are very high. Unfortunately, it's only going to be with Democrat votes. There's no Republican supporting it right now. But that bill coming out of the Senate, the House has already passed a version of it, will allow Medicare, representing 44 million recipients, to, for the first time in a long time, negotiate with the big pharma the cost, you know, the cost of prescription drugs. This is going to be a really major impact to reduce overall the cost of drugs and certainly to reduce the cost impact to the Medicare program. And so we've made that a number one priority. We are, I'm actually, as, I, as we're taping this, it's the end of July, I've got meetings scheduled, in-person meetings, uh, or I should say virtual, but with Congressman Neal, who's the chairman of Ways and Means, Congressman McGovern, the chairman of Rules, um, uh, Congresswoman Clark from our district, et cetera, and pretty much every member of the congressional delegation we're meeting with this week and early next week to, in all their cases to thank them for supporting this proposal. And if it does pass, uh, in short order, we're going to know, frankly, in less than two weeks, mid-August is about the time drop-dead date, um, this is going to have a major impact on the cost of prescri- many prescription drugs. So it's a big victory for not just ARP, frankly, but for the general public. We've always felt that there's something fundamentally wrong with the fact that in the United States, where many of these drugs were developed, and by the way, many of them by the institutes, you know, the National Institute of Health, not just big pharma privately. But one way or another, Americans have subsidized the, the, the drug costs of all the other countries in the world. And we know this because I'm sure any of you have traveled to uh, Europe, for example. If you, you, know, you will find that the cost of Lipitor or some equivalent generic uh, or some other drug that you may be getting in the United States, you're paying a third of what we're paying for the same product. And that's been true for many, many years. That has to change, and we're expecting and are encouraged by what it looks like, the change that will happen finally after all these years. So I just want to report that to you. Well, uh, <clears throat> the, when you talk about the cost, is that the out-of-pocket cost or is that the— The overall cost. 
and part of it becomes the overall. Uh, uh, there are also auto, auto, there are other benefits of this legislation, which addresses out-of-pocket costs. The cap at two thousand uh, dollars. The gap can be much greater than that currently. Uh, but there's also so you're dealing with the fact that so Medicare right has 44 million recipients. If you're on Medicare, if you're over 65 and you're in Medicare, you know you're playing. You know there is a prescription Part D. Uh, there's a cost associated with that. Uh, if, you know, that cost is reflective of the cost of drugs. And if, if the government is paying more than it should pay, then obviously there's a concomitant increase in the copay or increase in the premium. All of that pressure on raising the cost will go in the opposite direction. It'll be putting pressure on reducing the cost, which is why we think this is so critical. And the expectation is that the impact on the federal government's budget which in turn impacts how we, uh, not only our taxes, but frankly, me- Medicare premiums, et cetera, will be reduced. The costs will be reduced, and mm. savings will be had. All those names you mentioned at the Congress level, whether it was yeah. Neil or, or whomever, Catherine Carter, um, yeah. they're, they're at the federal level. Right. Does AIP get involved in elections by endorsing candidates? No. No, we do not. I'm glad you asked that. I can tell you what we do. First of all, we are 38 million strong. And just in, the United, in Massachusetts, we have over 750,000 members. By virtue of those numbers, and let me tell you, people over the age of 50 vote more than any other voting block, right? And politicians know that. Elected members know that. And so we do have a lot of, I think, inherent influence. But what we do not do is we do not endorse candidates. We do not give money to candidates. And we are nonpartisan. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. If you support an issue that we believe will benefit our members, then we will let our members know that. And so really what it, hap- what it, what it looks like, as the fall campaigns happen, at the, at, and by the way, this is true for the governor of Massachusetts, and we're going to be involved in that by informing our members of some of the critical issues that the governors have taken a position on in order to inform the voter and let the voter make the decision. But to put it in plain English, if you have been voting against helping Medicare negotiate drug prices, which we think would be awful and not helpful to our members and the general public, we're going to let the members know that, and the, and the, the odds are pretty good that the voter is going to say, why would I vote for you if you're not helping me and helping people like me uh, so that's what we do. We inform people, but we don't influence them by giving them money or endorsing. The the issues that um, what are some, maybe some of the other issues you do uh, yeah. at the state level? Sure. Oh yeah. Well, I'm glad. Uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. Here's this one whole area that I'd like to talk about uh, for as short a period of time as we have, but it has to do with nursing homes and long term care. Um, we have experienced in this state this very good quality Medicare, medic, medical state, a lot of good long-term care facilities and some not so good. But we've experienced some tragedy that's just unbelievable. For example, thousands of people died during the COVID crisis in Massachusetts nursing homes. 60% of the people who died overall in Massachusetts either worked in a nursing home or were a resident of a nursing home or another long-term care facility. And that includes our our veteran friends in Holyoke and Chelsea. 
And the simple fact is that we learned very well. We we discovered a lot of problems with the system, and that those problems included lack of transparency. I mean, in the early stages of the of, of this pandemic, people didn't even know what their loved one's situation was. They weren't able to get information. So we fought really hard in the early days to get them information shared. We we they did not have adequate protection. Uh, personal protection for, you know, masks and other kinds of things. They didn't have uh, proper sanitation in some cases, proper protocols. And all of these things have been discovered. Now the question is, how are we going to take that experience and learn lessons from that and not let it happen again? Now let me tell you, this is not the best news I can deliver to the listeners, but it's the truth. As we're doing this program, we're coming up to the last few days of the legislative session. We have worked very hard along with other organizations like the Alzheimer's Association and other uh, Healthcare for All and the Dignity Alliance, which is a you know, volunteer group of providers and uh, not providers, but advocates worrying about people in nursing homes and long-term care facilities. We've been fighting hard uh, to support what I'll characterize as a nursing home reform bill, which would do a lot of things that would make it less likely that people would suffer the same consequences as we went through with this pandemic. Another, I'll give you one example. One of the things that's in that bill, it's going to force those nursing homes to rearrange their rooms so that you're not crowding in some cases, as many as four people in one room. And when you have more than one person in that room, the odds are increasing that you're going to have a virus uh, um, you know, trans, uh, transmission. And so part of this bill is to really create a carrot stick approach to reducing the number of people within rooms, uh, to obviously uh, make sure that uh, transparency when it comes to information sharing um, and a whole number of other reforms, it's all there. And that bill was favorably recommended by the Elder Joint Committee on Elder Affairs, but it's stuck in the Ways and Means Committee, and we're not hearing enough good news that make me feel confident to tell you today that we can get that bill passed. If this bill doesn't pass, or some version of it, I think it would be a real tragedy, compounding the original tragedy, because it would mean that with all that going, we went through, we didn't learn enough to make it less likely that it will not happen again. And um, it's, it's really uh, it's, it's frustrating for us because a lot of times at the end of a legislative session, bills you know, that are good bills just never get voted on because it is a crunch. You know, there's so many other bills being considered. So that's a concern, Ed, and I thought I'd raise that with your listeners. Um, and uh, I guess the last thing I want to say is that we are also supporting a bill that has nothing to do with nursing homes, but it's about helping people save for retirement. There's a really good bill that the uh, Deb Goldberg, who's our treasurer, uh, has been uh, has filed that would allow anyone working for a nonprofit, um, no matter what size it is, to save money like a, through a 401k-type program that the state administers. Rather than requiring the uh, nonprofit to set it up, you do it through the state. And what we know from experience in other states is this will raise the number of people and the amount of money that people will be saving for their retirement. So 
it's another area that we worry about. You know, as we all know, uh, too many people are retiring and they're looking at their bank accounts and recently, excuse me, especially with the stock market. And they're genuinely worried <laughs> that they can't afford, right? Mm-hmm. You, look at you, Ed. I mean, you, you, well, you, 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 we're all in the same position, right? One way or another, there has been a serious constriction um, in the 401k balances. And people relying on that because we don't have pensions like we used to as much as we used to. Uh, and Social Security is always a challenge in terms of protecting the solvency of Social Security, another big issue for ARP. All of that comes to the point that whatever we can do to help people save for retirement so they'll be more secure financially, the better off we are. And so that's why we're fighting for that as well. You mentioned the bill that has on the surface uh, attraction to a lot of people, but it's in committee, and there seems to be a, a tradition in this, in, and I'm not, it's not just Massachusetts, but a, a, it appears a lot of the legislation in the, in the process, they start slow and they build up a momentum towards the end, and right. then when they get to the end, sometimes good ideas are buried somewhere in the, in the, in the, in the large group of bills that haven't had t- a time to be addressed, and so it ends up, they they don't feel as they don't they do anything. Fast. And well, so but, but that means they're dead. Yes. Yeah, so then one way not, or another, they're dead. They're not moving, and so you you have to start at least. I think, if I remember correctly, yeah, right. they, they now don't require those bills to be refiled during that session that you represent the uh, the two year term. But the reality is, nothing happens. So then you have to start all over again. Right, and we're looking at ne- that we so we have elections for state rep and state senators. We have elections for the constitutional offices, starting with the governor. All of that's happening in September primary, November election. We're going to be doing a very active voter, in, we call it a voter engagement plan. We want people to know how to vote because the vote, you know, the way you used to vote, remember the old days, Ed? You had to have a reason to get an absentee ballot. Uh, now, you know, it's a lot easier to vote by mail. It's a lot easier to get an absentee ballot. It's a lot easier to vote in advance of the election day itself. All these changes can frankly be confusing. So our campaign in the fall of voter education is going to primarily focus on where do you vote, how do you vote, and when I speak to how do you vote in the ways that I've just described. So this is very, very important, and when the election is over, and we're going to look at what it, January of 2023 and say, okay, we have a new legislature, a new governor. We're guaranteed a new governor because Charlie Baker isn't running, of course, for re-election. So that means we're going to have our work cut out for us to start all over again. And, you know, if it's the nursing home bill that we're going to have to not refile as such, but we're going to try to fight for a version of that, then we'll do it. Because I'm going to tell you now, we're committed to ensuring that we do not repeat the mistakes of the past when it comes to treating people and protecting people in long-term care facilities. Well, um, one thing, I, uh, just as, as it affects more than just maybe as a refresher and a reminder, although you've been notified by mail, um, because of the census that was, uh, national census, which was done every 10 years, um, until this coming election, uh, more than had, uh, two precincts for each ward, so there were 16 right. voting locations. Now, some of those locations had more than one voting precinct. For right. instance, the the, uh, the school on the corner across in Ferry Street had more than once one vote, either ward one or ward seven. You could vote depending on your precinct. Right. But the complication now is because of the increased population for Malden and because of the size of the districts that are capped, 
Malden now has gone from 16 precincts to 24. Oh, wow. So you may still be in Ward 3, for instance, or you may still live in Ward, uh, you'll be in voting in Ward 7, but your location may not be the same. Right. So, and in fact, that happened to, to, to my address. I live on Daniel Street. And um, routinely, I just went around the, around the onto Bryan Street and voted Suffolk Manor in recent oh, sure. elections. Now I have to go to another site. Yep. And, right. uh, so you got to pay attention. And it's a, not, you know, in other point. words, it's not like it's not that far away. But the thing is, it it's not as, as convenient as it was before. Well, so, well, let's put it this way: if you wind up being rushed to go to work, or yeah. you've got an appointment, and you think you've got twenty minutes to vote, and you realize you're in the wrong location, now you're making it a problem. So you made a very good point. It's you should get notice from the Secretary we, of State we, or from the City of Malden. You did that. Yeah. All right, and and but you got to keep on that. And we uh, at ARP, we're definitely actively promoting information around where to vote and more important, frankly, or just as important, how to vote, absentee or, you know, in person or before the election day itself. Yeah. Are there other issues nationally that AIP is, is uh, involved in or leading the charge on? Well, once we win on the Medicare fight, which I'm telling you now, and I hope I don't eat my words, uh, and I don't think I will, once we get that done, uh, we are going to return to, and actually we continue to keep our eye on the ball, of things like the solvency of Social Security. We have an abiding concern that the solvency of Social Security for next generations, not just the ones receiving it, but future grandchildren, is solvent. And we are always looking to find out whether, you know, and frankly to, uh, you know, uh, to, to uh, guarantee that that Social Security is secure and solvent and we're expecting to go back into that fight. We're waiting for the Congress in the next Congress or the next, um, yeah, in the next Congress. There may be proposals coming down the pike that ARP will be actively lobbying for or against. Um, we clearly have a whole number of priorities when it when it comes to uh, Medicare. It's not just the drugs, but but the solvency of Medicare um, and. Uh, well, that is a problem because they've indicated, I think, sometime in the 2030, mid-30 range, which is less than 15 years away, that based on the the, uh, the enrolling increasing and the cost increasing, that the, that the, the present system won't be self-sufficient. Right, right. And we, we are reminding our, the congressional uh, folks of that. Uh, but I have to tell you, candidly, part of the challenge for us is that we have to, you know, we know all of that, they know that, but until there's a proposal out there that we can get our, sink our teeth into and say, okay, well, this is a good idea, and this is not a good idea, it's very hard to, you know, that old expression, shadow box. So we don't want to shadow box with each other. We want to wait to see if the Congress is going to move, and then we want to inform <coughs> our members and the Congress whether these are good or bad ideas. So the solvency of Social Security is, is, a, is an evergreen issue for us. Medicare as well, and uh, <clears throat> other matters that are not coming to my mind at the moment, but I can assure you that our role at the federal level as well as the state level is to look for policies that protect older people, and, uh, and you know, we're active in a whole number of areas that haven't even covered because we don't have time. Yeah, now, in your situation, since you're the state director mm -hmm. of ARP, you, I assume, go to the state house on certain bills of the file that speak. To yeah, the we. I've been testifying in, uh, virtually these days. They allow you still to do it virtually, but oh, you uh, do. I was in the state house recently on a, 
at the invitation of Governor Baker uh, on a press conference that he had on the senior tax benefits that I mentioned a little earlier, which wound up becoming law. So I get out there, uh, you know, on occasion. But generally speaking, I'm going to say something else. If any of you are interested in, you know, say, being politically active on behalf of ARP, we have a lot of volunteers. And almost, like, for example, on the, um, there was a caregiver tax credit, which we didn't get in the budget, which we really wanted bad, but we weren't able to get it done. But we had hundreds of phone calls going into the speaker's office, the chairman of Ways and Means in the House side, as well as Senate President and Senate Chair of Ways and Means. We have a lot of volunteers who say, you know what, I'll pick up the phone and I'll make a call or I'll send an email. We make it very easy for people. So if anybody's interested in joining our group of volunteers, we write the message, we answer your questions, uh, we encourage you to be engaged, and uh, all you need to do is go, you know, remember, when in doubt, anything I'm covering, aarp.org, that's our website, slash MA, Math for Massachusetts, and you'll get onto our Massachusetts website, and we, all, we have all kinds of information about the programs we do as well as our legislative things that we lobby for as well as volunteer opportunities. So all of it's there, and uh, I encourage people to contact us, and, you know, maybe you can be part of our effort. Why don't you repeat that again? Just sure. To, to it's aarp.org slash ma. Simple. Yeah, that's it. Okay. And, um, you know, and look at you. I'm happy to give you my email address. It's m for Mike Festa, F-E-S-T-A, at aarp.org. If uh, you're interested in volunteering, you want to just shoot me a personal note, I'm happy to pass it on to uh, we have a volunteer coordinator. We have a great advocacy team on staff. Uh, and one way or another, we'll connect you. So uh, please feel free to send me a, a, an email as well. I had uh, <coughs> read these uh, bulletins and the magazine, Two. and uh, and I've emphasized it on not only when you've been here, Michael, but uh, and the membership itself for the small cost you incur it really opens up options for you to not only save money in c certain ways, but also enjoy benefits that... Uh, Normally, it might cost something or yeah. nothing, but at least you have a, a choice that maybe you m might take advantage of it. And in this in this particular uh, bulletin that I had gone through before uh, you and I had gotten together, there were three things, three articles that kind of touched home to me. One was that um, there are some instances where, and, and this is where you get self-education. Yeah. Um, that sometimes people get as they get older get concerned they lose they lose hair or they seem to be losing it faster than they had previously, and the result is that uh, it's 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 anxiety it's attention it's a, it's a, it's maybe it's a it's a personal thing with yeah. some people. Um, yeah. It's easier to go bald when you're 25 than when you're losing your hair when you get older. You got a good head of hair, but the the reason I thank my father every day for yeah, that. Yeah. The reason I mention that is. There's an article in the bulletin this this month indicating that sometimes what you take for medication to help you one way ends up creating a problem. Hair loss, problem is a hair loss. Sure. And it listed in that article a whole bunch of different over-the-counter prescription medications that people sometimes take, and it has more effect on the amount of hair they retain than it does on the health overall. So yeah. that in itself, you say, gee, I never thought of that. But there's another facet to that, too, is that people, as they get older, 
um, uh, sometimes don't realize that some, the, the quantity of your medication is uh, less uh, important in the sense that you don't necessarily need the same level of, of a dosage because you're not as active. Maybe mm. uh, for different reasons you've got other medication. So all the people sometimes in taking medication, sometimes the medication don't, don't work well together. And one of the ways that that shows up is the hair loss. But in other ways, sometimes it's like being over-medicated. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a real problem. But look, the takeaway is pretty straightforward. I haven't read that article yet, Yeah. but I can tell you you don't have to worry about it. You got plenty of hair. It's not, and your hair doesn't look bad either. Don't, uh, don't look at the back. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but no, listen, I, here's the thing. When in doubt, this is an example of where you do your annual physical. You've got to bring this up to your doctor. Make sure you review, and I'm sure they do. This is a protocol. You review your medications and make sure that there is a conversation had about contraindications or side effects that may uh you know, cause the harm that you're now describing. The problem, I think, frankly, these days is we feel like we're kind of on a, you know, conveyor belt and we're in, we're out. Before you know it, we've, we've left the doctor's office. But you should insist on on the matter of medication management uh, to have that conversation specific and make sure you're not making mistakes like that because otherwise it's just something they say, oh, well, what medications are on? Well, that's great. You know, yeah. let's move on. Um, so take the time. Uh, and and ask those questions and get the right answers. Yeah. Beyond any of that, by the way, and I've had this experience in my own situation. I had the same doctor for many years, mm -hmm. and uh, he he restructured his practice. So I, I had a uh, in order to qualify for for the insurance coverage, and so forth. I, I had to get a new primary care doctor. Yeah, right. And uh, and what happens is for some reason there's a uh, when I went down to uh, the pharmacy, I haven't used uh, utilized CVS. Mm -hmm. uh, I've gone down there two or three different times and inquiring why I don't have a, a contact from them as f to renew my prescription. And well, sometimes there's two reasons for, as in my cases, they still show the old doctor as as the, the, as the doctor. So when they yeah. send him the inquiry to confirm the renewal of the prescription, they're not doing anything because he's no longer my doctor. But past any of that is that um, that. The end, it ends up that the current doctor doesn't get notified. And then on top of that, there's a code that goes with it. So what happens is if if they don't send the right code to confirming the renewal of the prescription, CVS doesn't process it because they don't get paid unless they have the right code. So there's simple little things. It's not a major problem if you if you take it ahead of time and when you renew. But if you if for some reason you you neglect to follow through and there's no feedback from the pharmacy, you may find out you're running out of prescriptions, and it takes a few days to end up everybody coordinating. That, that that's one thing that, that that's uh, I've experienced. And so you have to pay attention when you change doctors. What the what the pharmacy's record shows in terms of what who's the doctor they contact and what the what sure. the phone number. Another thing is that uh, uh, there's, this, there's two articles. That's not in another there, article. Is it, well, there is. You're going to talk about there, another article. There's yeah. one on on uh, sleep anxiety, and you you hear more and more about the how important it is to sleep and how before eleven o'clock is better than after eleven o'clock and that sort of thing. But uh, people sometimes as they, as they age. Um, it's, especially if they, maybe if they're alone now when they weren't before, they have a problem falling asleep, right. and so they, and then they sometimes if they fall asleep they don't stay asleep, in which case they get broken sleep, right. and so 
there's an article in there that suggests some options that you right. can good well, tips to yes, yeah, makes to sense get and, a better night's sleep. And health wise, yeah. that's very important because uh, in, in a lot of instances, people um, will fall asleep and it, they 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 may find out. Well, you know, you 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 fall asleep, but you don't go on the rim level because you yeah. don't, you you can sleep apnea. You don't even know that, yeah. and that's a diff, that's a different issue. But and one one final thing is that and it caught my attention how to get ten percent interest on your money. Do you know there is an option? I can't comment on that because we don't. I don't talk about any uh, services or oh, products. Okay. So, well, uh, you. Uh, but it's your show. You can say well, whatever the anyway, heck you want. Well, anyway, the point is, when I read the article, what it is it? There are series I bonds, which are government bonds, oh, right. guaranteed, yeah, yeah. and um, they're pegged to the to inflation. So currently, they will pay over nine percent interest on on uh, on if you buy these savings bonds. You're allowed to. To uh, buy us up to ten thousand dollars a year, and um, if you have a tax refund coming, you that's can a good incre- way to you can increase the yeah. ten thousand to fifteen thousand, and that's another five thousand up to another five thousand by having your refund instead of going to your checking account or being mailed out to you, you buy I bonds. And the thing is, when you think about it, people are talk complaining about that. Uh, you get this money in in, in CDs at one percent or one one and a half percent. This is almost, uh, and it's a five. Uh, these I bonds are good for five years. There's some caveats to it. Number one is if you cash it early, there's a penalty for some of the interest. But the reality is, if you had money to save, you didn't need it, you didn't anticipate having any reason to be utilizing it or needing to spend it, unless you're going to give it away within the next five years. If you put it in uh, an I bond and you don't have to look at the stock market. You don't have to check the Dow Jones on four, at four o'clock. You just let that sit there. And five years from now, it may not be nine percent because this is subject to change every six months. But the fact is, Currently. it's still going to be a lot than what than when you Absolutely. got account. Sure, so. sure. Well, you know that's a good one, Ed. And I have to say, I I've just learned something from you, and I, I it encourages me to read the article and, and get more detail. And join the join AARP, and you not only get this free every month, you get the magazine free, and it's a an article on the, about country and western music. So if you're interested in that, and well, I, it's uh, hey, to each his own. Let's just say there's a lot there, and uh, I, I, Ed, I got to tell you, I really enjoy sitting down with you, and we've covered a lot of exciting areas. So and I want to thank. Thank you. you. We are done. We're over for the hour, and good oh, to shit. talk with you. Oh, good. Well, I'm uh, glad I at least thanked you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice time. Like you brought the props and everything. Yeah. I'll have to save this for myself. Yeah, you should. I mean, absolutely.